Hello, and welcome back to God's Planning. I am Father Gregory Pine, one of your hosts, one of your five hosts. I am 20% of your hosts, and I am joined here by Father Bonaventure Chapman, another 20% of our hosts. Father Bonaventure, how are you? Well, we're doing well. I guess 40%, that's a pretty abysmal grade, uh, passing-wise, but we generally don't have five people <laughs> on at the same time, so that's, that's all right, I suppose. 40% is okay. I guess that's 100% of what it should be. I'm done. That's there you go. Perfect. And we supplement the fact for our our lacking in the, you know, full quality and excellence of our hosts by by supplementing with uh, Dr. Ralph Martin. So, uh, Dr. Martin, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Great to be here. I love being with Dominicans. <laughs> Excellent. I think you. Uh, I think you guys are candidates for the Thomas Hillbillies. Oh, well, I well, figure you're. You know, that's great. The the problem though, the, that's a musical group, um, <laughs> that involves banjos or something. And uh, although Father Gregory has been mistaken for Frank Sinatra uh, before <laughs> with his singing talents in uh, Cincinnati, um, he has he as far as I know does not play the banjo or maybe you do. I don't know the fiddle, but uh, a clarinet or a saxophone and a and Frank Sinatra singing is not exactly on the hillbilly Thomas thing, but we appreciate well, your sense that. of your sense of humor in between songs is what I was thinking of. Like you could make great jokes in between the songs, you know. It's it's really just divine comedia, uh, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. If the hillbilly Thomists come looking for non-musical comedic relief, then I am I am more than willing. If they come looking for alternately musical comedic relief, then Father Bonaventure will put his name in the hat. <laughs> Um, but until such time, we will uh, we will abide in the outer circle of uh, of a province of St. Joseph musical talent. But um, apart from that, uh, we're very delighted to have you on the show. I, I imagine that many of our listeners know you and know of your work. But for those who don't, would you mind just introducing yourself and just telling us a little bit about where you are and what you're doing these days? Sure. Well, I'm speaking today from Ann Arbor, Michigan. I teach at the uh, Sacred Heart Major Seminary in the Archdiocese of Detroit. I'm actually director of our STL program uh, in new evangelization. And I'm also uh, president of a Catholic mission organization called Renewal Ministries. And we have the longest running Catholic television program on EWTN. We have two daily Catholic radio programs. We do mission work in about 40 different countries. We have a really growing YouTube channel. In fact, just this morning, I did a YouTube video on the current confusion with Cardinal Hollerick. Uh, repudiating Catholic teaching on homosexuality openly. And uh, so we do things like that. We try to bring clarity to people uh, about some of the confusion going on in the church today. Uh, just a lot of things, you know, books, you know, whatever, you know. Yeah. I'm married. I have six children and 19 grandchildren. Wow. And I got my degrees. I got my STL degree from the Dominican House of Studies and my doctorate from the Angelicum. So there. <laughs> there you go. Well credentialed. Gentle listeners, well-credentialed. <laughs> He's worth your time. He has better Dominican credentials than we do if we are counting academic <laughs> degrees. So we salute you. Uh, we congratulate you. We envy you. Uh, until such time as we finish our doctorates, we will just continue to labor dolefully in this veil right. of tears. It's a, wonderful, <laughs> it's a wonderful feeling to finish your doctorate. Your life will never be the same. It'd be really better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Disney World, here I come. Yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I'll be there on, on every float in the parade that they will inevitably have <laughs> yeah. for the completion of my doctorate. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, you're, you're something of an expert in uh, things eschatological. For those listeners who haven't come across the word eschatological, that's taken from the Greek word eschaton, 
which means those things pertaining to the end, so the end times. Um, and I thought that in this episode, we could talk a little bit about the end times so as to focus our approach to the present moment and you know our, our attempts to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and to do his will for our mission in life. Um, and so, you know, I'll, I'll pose a question and then Father Bonaventure will have his follow-ups inevitably, which typically go along these lines. So Father Gregory said this, and I think that's nonsense. So I'm going to say something else. So we can anticipate. Oh, no, I'd be scandalized if that happened. <laughs> Get ready for scandal. <laughs> exactly. Oh. I, you did a thing um, with the Cardinal this, about the Cardinal this morning, so you're prepped. That's right. <laughs> All right. So my thoughts are these. You, you often hear people say things have never been worse or, you know, the state of the church is disastrous. And, and oftentimes people will, you know, set forward the various things that have come up in the news. You mentioned one, you know, like uh, doctrinal confusion about the, the church's teaching on homosexuality, which is irreformable being one. Um, and I think that as a result, people begin to think eschatologically, but perhaps in a false way or perhaps devoid of Christian hope. So people speak of good times, people speak of bad times. How does it, you know, like maybe, maybe just give us some principles for how we ought to situate ourselves in the present moment with respect to the past, with respect to the future? Sure. Well, who can say whether this is the worst time or not? You know, <laughs> I mean, we know there's been really horrible times before. I mean, how horrible is the Arian heresy denying the identity of Jesus by the part of the majority of the bishops for a while, you know? You know, how crazy is that? I mean, that's the essence of our faith, you know, and how horrible is the uh, temporal involvement of many of the popes, you know, waging war and uh, siring children out of wedlock. Although I must say that plain old simple immorality isn't isn't really our biggest problem, you know. Uh, would that that were only our problem, but really it really is when doctrine and, and teaching uh, begins to get confused, that's really wicked because that really can lose people's souls. You know, so I do think we're in a serious situation right now. Uh, I can't tell you whether it's the most serious or not. Uh, you know, we've had, well, I won't, I won't go there right now. We'll see if we go there or not. Uh, but I think that, I think that second Thessalonians chapter two is really a useful text to think about right now. Paul says, first of all, don't get alarmed by so-called prophetic words, and there's a lot of those going around too, a lot of apparitions and things like that. He says, don't get so alarmed by prophetic words that the Lord's already come. You know, he says, you're not going to miss them because two things need to happen before he returns. One, he calls the great apostasy. So what, what's an apostasy? It isn't something that pagans do. It's something that Christians do. It's the turning away from faith on the part of those who once had it. Now, for several centuries now, we've been living through a great apostasy, but it really seems to be accelerating right now, where, for example, in the United States, uh, where you might say we had some kind of Christian culture, loosely speaking, for many years, and some kind of harmony between the church and the culture to a certain degree, that's really broken down now, and there's a hostility now in the culture to Christ and the church that's pretty vicious and uh they're not tolerant they really not only don't want us they not only want us to tolerate their immorality their apostasy but they want us to approve it and they don't want us to really think anything different so they're actually becoming thought police now 
So we're seeing a, a tremendous apostasy, a tremendous turning away from faith on the part of those who once had it. Whether this is the great apostasy or not, we'll only know if the Lord returns at the end of it. Honestly, that's the only way we'll ever know whether the apostasy we're experiencing is the final apostasy or not. But then he talks about something else. He says there's a certain restrainer that's holding back unrestrained evil. And at a certain point in time, that restrainer will be removed. And then we'll see uh, unrestrained lawlessness. We'll see the appearance of the lawless one uh, who will use every device at, at his uh, at his uh, disposal to mislead even the elect. And he, you know, and, and Paul identifies the means he's going to use. The, most people think this figure is the Antichrist, not everybody. And so the means are um, false signs and wonders, you know, spectacular things that don't really lead people to conversion or faith, but lead people to be impressed by the lawless one. And the second thing is uh, every deception available. And then it says something really kind of blood curdling uh, for those destined to perish. So you say, wow, who's destined to perish? We know that God, God destines nobody to perish. You know that God doesn't create anybody for damnation. We know that double predestination is, is, is not a Catholic doctrine. So so God doesn't destine anybody to perish. So who's destined to perish? And then it says it right out because they refuse to love the truth. Or another translation says, because they refuse to open their hearts to the truth and so be saved. And then it says a deeper deception will then come upon them. God will send a deeper deception upon them. And you get the impression that it's so deep that it's virtually impossible to come out. Although I would counsel people never to give up hope on anybody, you know, while this life there's hope. So, don't ever give up, even if you think they've entered into the deepest, darkest, most confirmed and reconfirmed deception. But this means that being clear about the truth is so important. The world is full with deception today. The world is full with lies. The church is filled with confusion and lies, false teachers and false prophets. So we really need to recover our confidence in sacred scripture. We need to really recover our confidence in the tradition of the church. We really need to know what the catechism of the Catholic Church teaches or who knows where we could drift because of the pressure from the culture, because of our own flesh, because of the temptation of the devil. Hmm. I know it's a little longer answer than you wanted, but Hey, that's that was what correct. was there. No, you've, you've, <laughs> okay. you've laid it out and, uh, and, and I start, at least started the conversation of it. And I've, I was fascinated because uh, I'm a, I'm an evangelical convert. Um, and so all of a sudden I was like thrown in a way into, uh, into my past life for a moment um, because I spent a lot of time dealing with post-millennialists and dispensationalists and pre-millennialists. And, uh, because eschatology is something, I'll put it this way, eschatology, end times, discourse, and such, uh, is a very Protestant evangelical thing to talk about. And then another thing is scripture is a very Protestant evangelical thing to talk about. And so some listeners might think, or viewers might think, wait a minute, is Dr. Martin a Catholic or not? And I would say, for those of us who know, of course he's, you see the catechism and all this, but why is it, do you think, that, that Catholics don't talk about um, eschatology in, I, I would say, um, in the way that you talk about it, a kind of, you, you have a nice sense of saying, here's the things we know from Scripture, but whether these match this given historical moment or something— we have to be careful about. I find that that's a nice bet going between Scylla and Crybdis, between saying, here's what it says in the Scripture, and I know exactly what who that is today, let me point fingers here, or the other one saying, well, Scripture doesn't have anything to say really, but it's all symbolic 
thing. You you land nice Catholic mean there, but why is it, do you think, that um, the Catholics have been resistant to discussing or thinking about the end times and the scripture related to them in the way that you just did, which I think a lot of evangelicals would say right on. That's exactly what we've, we've been talking about. I think Catholics haven't had a conversion to scripture. They haven't experienced it as the inspired and errant word of God. They, they sometimes haven't had a conversion to God. And so they don't have a respect for his holiness. They don't have an eagerness to hear what he has to say. And it's a lot like a, like a lukewarm mishmash of this, that, and the other thing. And so I don't think a lot of people have encountered the holiness of God. And, and it hasn't, they haven't kind of surrendered at his feet. They haven't said, depart from me from a sinful man or a man of unclean lips. They, they, they haven't realized their need for cleansing, for sanctification by the Holy Spirit. And honestly, because the, the scriptures are written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, if you're not alive in the Holy Spirit, the scriptures won't be alive to you. And so despite all the good knowledge and all the good Bible studies that are going on, to really connect with God's word is God's word that you tremble before and you say, wow, the reading today in the liturgy, wow, something's really being revealed there for, for my heart, for my soul, for my mind to, to my, conform myself to. I think just a lot of Catholics aren't converted. And if they are converted, they're not converted with a sufficient surrender that releases the power of the Holy Spirit in their soul to actually encounter the scripture as the inspired word of God. I'm very tempted to grab a book. Um, Do it. It's by the Jesuit Australian scripture scholar who did the commentary on Romans uh, in the Sacra Pagina uh, series. And he's written a new book called... Uh, which basically the, the subtitle is the eschatology of Paul. And he basically makes the case that uh, everything that Paul writes is in light of the final judgment. He makes a very strong case for it. And he says, in light of the wrath to come. Now, that's a concept that we never pay attention to, right? You know, I mean, Catholics don't know what to make of the wrath to come, you know, and, and Catholics don't really want to hear about it because they're scared. People are scared about the second coming. They're scared about the final judgment. But for those who are in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. So people need to have a confident relationship with the Lord. How can you say, with the Spirit and the Bride, how can you say, come Lord Jesus, unless you're in a relationship with him or friendship of love, where you know who he is and, and you're in him and you're with him and you're for him. And, and you know that the judge that's coming is, is your lover. The judge that's coming is the one who died for you. The judge that's coming is the one who you commune with every day, who calls you friend, who no longer calls you servant. So uh, gee, I wish I could uh, find the book, but we shouldn't really take more time to find it right now. <laughs> it's a new, it's a new book, and uh, golly, I can't even remember his name. But he's a, you know, you probably maybe you know it, but anyway, uh, he's he's a well-known it's by, Jesuit. It's by Jesuits, so no, no, you wouldn't admit to that. <laughs> yeah, you don't read Jesuits, though, do you? Really? Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, ever since ever since I read a little Jack, a little Jack chick, chick flick on the Book of Revelation back when I was a, a boy or something, it had the Jesuit general as like the beast or something next to the Pope, and I thought, okay, oh, yeah. well, that makes sense, I suppose. I don't know. I think I just said something fairly radical about Catholics and Scripture. What do you guys think about that? I, I um, think Scripture's not bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're we're going to think about that for a brief moment because we're going to actually take a break. And then when we come back from the break, I'm going to pose a question in response to it. Maybe I'll offer some thoughts in response to it. So, uh, dear listener, please stick with us and we'll catch you on the other side.
All right, welcome back. Uh, thanks for sticking with us here on Godsplaining. Uh, ordinarily, when we take a break in the episode, it's for purely arbitrary reasons so that we can stick that little bumper into the middle of the episode. Although, preview of coming attractions, that little bumper in the middle of the episode is going to disappear in short order. It may have already disappeared, depending on when we get our editing act together over the course of the next, I don't know, months or weeks. But in this rare case, that break actually served the beneficial purpose of offering Dr. Martin the opportunity to retrieve the aforementioned book. So Dr. Martin, tell us about it. Yes, the search was successful. It just needed another five seconds. Uh, <laughs> it's called Paul and the Economy of Salvation, reading from the perspective of the Last Judgment by Father Brendan Byrne, who's a, a Australian Jesuit, well-respected Catholic biblical scholar, uh, Everybody cites him who comments on Romans and other, you know, other gospels as well. And he makes the case that Paul is living with what we call biblical worldview. That's in light of the final judgment. The time is short. Judgment's coming. The wrath of God is going to be expressed against the unrepentant and the disobedient. So get in Jesus Christ because those who are in Jesus Christ. There's no condemnation for. So it's, it's, it's really a very, very interesting, very good book. It confirms my tendencies. <laughs> well, all right. Then. All right so, yeah. I mean, so, it yeah. Is, there is a, there's a strong, there's, I mean, the eschatological of Paul, I think it gets toned down a little bit in our readings and the lectionary choice we make sometimes. And, uh, but early on, especially the, the first, first and second Thessalonians, those are, those are key texts and you can see it other places. And then in the pastoral epistles, people read them as if, oh, that's Paul kind of realizing that, you know, after a while in the ministry, Jesus isn't really coming back. And so he's got to kind of lay down foundations for the, for the church and all this. And so he's kind of going back on his earlier discussion about meeting Christ in the clouds and first Thessalonians 413, all that kind of business. But I've never, I've never seen it that way. I've just thought, you know, he's. No one says the same thing in every situation. When you're writing a letter to establish to make sure that someone's around, doesn't mean that you've given up on. It's not like it's not like the claims that Hal Lindsey makes in you know Late Great Planet Earth and all yeah. these that each time you make a claim, crisis coming in 1988. Oh, didn't come. Well, you know, let's land for this. But Paul, he's just yeah. he's more consistent than that. So I think you're right to to remind us about the eschatological vision. Yeah. Also, uh, Father Byrne makes the case that even when he's not explicit about it. It's there as his, sure. you know, kind of controlling background. And take a look at the book of Revelations, maybe the last one that's been written. Uh, hey, we got the final judgment there in living color. It's there in technicolor. You know, we have we have the lake of fire. You know, we have, you know, we've got a lot of it's stuff going A lot of weird stuff, we have, yeah. We have the second yeah. death, you know, you know. Now, yeah. Catholics need to know about this because Jesus says, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body but rather be afraid of the one who can kill body and soul in hell. And so most people are more afraid of what's going to happen to the body than what's going to happen to the soul. So lack of conversion, lack of revelation, lack of biblical worldview, lack of seeing reality as, as it's revealed to us by God. And so uh, then the book of Revelation says, you know, there's the second death. So be afraid of the second death. What's the second death? The second death is eternal separation from God. It's the lake of fire. Who's thrown into the lake of fire? Well, okay, murderers. Yeah, we kind of figure probably unrepentant murderers going to the lake of fire. But hey, fornicators? I mean, everybody does it. It's okay. You know, the church has changed its teaching. No, it's not okay. It's, it's a serious sin that could exclude us from the kingdom of God. The next one, though, is a shocker. Cowards. Whoa. 
this is related, of course, of denying Jesus under cultural pressure, under persecution. You know, Matthew's gospel, he says, if you deny me before people, I'm going to deny you before my father in heaven. You say, that's a shocking, harsh thing to say. But it's sort of like if we deny Jesus, we're cutting off our lifeline to God. We're also cutting out, cutting us off as a, as a source of salvation for people we care about. We're, we're, we're cutting us off from redemption, from life, from rescue. And, and we're denying this incredible gift. Hey, oh, that's, by the way, St. Dominic back there. This, that's Fra Angelico. Yeah. That's the bleeding Jesus sh shedding blood on St. Dominic, you know, from the convent of St. Marco. Yeah. We're moved. Let's um, go. All right. So, so a couple of random like threads of the conversation to pick up first in reverse order. I was just in Paris visiting with my sister for like 38 hours and we went to the Louvre and I on a whim said, let's just start with the 15th century Italian masters because why not? And that was like one of the first images I saw that Fra Angelico of uh, St. Dominic embracing the crucified. So I was astonished and I just stopped, you know, everybody in the exhibit and I was like, you, you see the family resemblance? That's, that's my, <laughs> yeah. my. Um, yeah. so there's that. And then apropos of like Christian reading and appropriation of scripture and taking one's cue from sacred scripture when it comes to, you know, like the, the spirituality with which we approach the end times, I guess, you know, like in listening to you speak, you have a way of communicating a future that's well, a present and a future that's somewhat dire. Okay. But doing so in a way that's joyful and doing so in a way that can beget hope in the listener which I think is a very, very difficult balance to achieve or to attain. For my own part, you know, if I ever go to like a Catholic news compilation site like newadvent.org, for instance, I just look at yeah. the headline and then I'm immediately stirred with a combination of wrath and depression. And right. then it takes me like tens of minutes to recover from that. Yeah. Um, and then it doesn't actually motivate me to respond in a way, you know, proportionate to my state in life, this present circumstance, etc. So, so like, is there, there's gotta be some connection between instead of reading newadvent.org with respect to the, uh, the curator and editor thereof, maybe like a scriptural worldview and forming a vision of the future while at once dire, also hopeful. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, absolutely. You know, and, uh, you know, you know, I, I wrote a book called the church in crises pathways forward, which really kind of identifies the depth of the confusion and infidelity, but also gives a pathway forward. And people ask me, Ralph, you, you kind of know of so much wrong what's going on. And I do. They say, aren't you discouraged? Not at all. I'm not discouraged at all because all of this is happening under the providence of God. Hey, you Dominicans, you know, providence of God, Garagou Lagrange, come on. You know, uh, it's all I happening. Like it. under, it's all, yeah, good. It's all happening in the providence of God. Nothing is happening that he isn't permitting. God is permitting the junk. God is permitting the apostasy. God is permitting the false teachers and prophets. God is permitting, permitting confusion in Rome. God is permitting an unclear sound coming from the trumpet. God is permitting cowardness amongst shepherds and leaders, you know? And, and how could he be doing that? Because he wants to surface the evil that's under the surface. He wants to purify the church and he wants to judge those who refuse to repent. Uh, it's going to be a bloody time for the church. It's going to get worse before it gets better. But that, that's what's going on. And out of that, he's really trying to purify a remnant. It's always been the case. When God's people has accommodated to the nations around them, severe punishment comes upon them. 
Romans chapter one says the punishment is actually sexual disorder. So man, we're people who are bragging about the sexual disorder are actually bragging about their judgment. They're, they're bragging about their darkness. They don't understand what they think is so smart and so enlightened and so free and so liberated is actually God's judgment. It's the wages of sin. Uh, you, know, you know, and so, yeah. So the I mean, the good part is that there's there's this, like this judgment message and all this, but at the same time there's a there's a joy to to the not the judgment per se, but the fact that well God isn't just letting us know about these things, revealing these things to us to say like aha got you you know you fornicators you sinners, but as a warning as as something we yes. can cooperate with in grace with. So it's it's really an uplifting message in a way. It's not a a deterministic one or a fatalistic no. one. No. I mean, that's because and as you talked about the Holy Spirit, of course, we believe deeply that God isn't just waiting back uh, as just the, our Heavenly Father is sort of directing things and permitting things, but actually he's working in our lives, the Holy Spirit, by applying the sanctification and the salvation of Christ. Yeah. And and I was thinking just on your, your question, what do you think about the radical message of the scriptures and such? And it it's, it's so important as Catholics to remind ourselves that we know that Loving follows knowing, Dominicans, at least we talk about this, that the the will follows the intellect, and so knowledge, you, don't, you don't love something unless you can know it. And oftentimes we think, that's, I agree with that, but then what is where are the sources of our knowledge? And I think we, we kind of immediately go to, I don't know, philosophical things, or at least I do, or, you know, virtues or metaphysics or something. But the clear source is the scriptures, and when you read the scholastics especially, and I've been spending, because my dissertation last two weeks reading Lutheran scholastics in particular, but my favorite part is they have tons, just tons and tons of scripture, and I just skip those parts because I just go check, check. I've already read that, whatever. And I realize I stop myself saying, "Wait a minute, these guys think like this is more important than what they're about to write." Whereas for Thomas, me, know, that, Thomas knows that he I'm can't teach that. anything contrary to the scripture. Thomas knows he can't teach anything that's not in harmony with sacred scripture. That that's his view of sacred scripture, as you know. But yeah. but look, you know, uh, Psalm two, the nations of the world or arraying themselves against the Lord and against his anointed. That's what's happening. The nations of the world are arraying themselves against Christ and his church. What's the response to the Lord? The Lord in his heaven laughs. The folly of the human race rebelling against God. The folly of human beings think they can overthrow the kingdom of God. The folly of it. Jesus Christ is Lord. And he's coming again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And right now he's working his providence for the good. He's going to bring good out of the disaster for those who want it. It's a sort of joy. Well, we need to preach, sort of, we need to preach gospel joyful. boldly, though. We need to yeah, preach yeah. the gospel boldly. We need to tell people about Jesus, you know, with, with urgency, with fire, with passion, because their salvation depends on it. And a lot of priests and bishops don't even act like that. You know, they, they kind of do a, a mealy mouth kind of, you know, this is the reading for today and, you know, whatever. You know, every time that Jesus talked, he was calling for a response. He was calling for people to believe in him and follow him and obey him. And we just don't communicate like that. And we need to for the sake of people's salvation. So intellectual Dominicans like you guys need to have fire in your hearts to actually call people to repentance and conversion, not just give them good intellectual explanations of, you know, stuff. Stop. If I may, if I may suggest that. <laughs> oh, no, cut me to the heart. You're, you're, a, you're a joyful preacher. Um, of uh, of prophecy and uh, and the end times and uh, it's yeah no that's and everyone needs to hear that because the scripture says that the scripture says that. you guys got to be that too though you, yeah, you no, got to be 
yeah, you're preaching to us so that we can we can preach to others. Exactly. Yes, exactly. absolutely. And of course, well, Saint, and the fire Saint Vincent Ferrer. Well, Saint Vincent Ferrer is like this too, right? The angel of the well, apocalypse. Well, Saint Dominic. Saint Dominic was. Saint Dominic was weeping all night long, raising his hands, you know, asking God to have mercy on sinners. You know, Saint Dominic, and, and Saint Vincent Ferrer for sure, and Saint Catherine of Siena, fiery Dominicans. You know. Yeah. No, it's, it's interesting, and this will be a final thought because we're coming to the end of uh, this episode. But it's fascinating that in, in a world of hortatory voices, right, there are no lack of people present in whatever fora, but mostly on the internet, it seems, uh, who want to give you advice as to how to live your life. And as a result of which, I think that we, as a generation, are somewhat deadened to the genre of whatever you'd call it, like exhortation, persuasion, encouragement, uh, paraclesis even, right? Uh, we're, we're suspicious of it. And I think that part of the preaching of the word is, is, in, is addressed to a healing of that suspicion because you're not just communicating a set of principles or you're not just communicating a nice, tight, whatever, like well-construed and meticulously argued set of propositions. You're communicating a person to whom the one addressed can, can actually entrust his or her life and in the context of that relationship, you know, like the suspicion which has arisen or the woundedness that has come about, you know, can actually be healed and that person can be grown beyond it, which is a wild, a wild, wild prospect. And I think preachers need to retain the confidence that, that just such a thing is possible. And I return often to St. Thomas, you know, describing the Dominican charism as to, to, to contemplate and then to give to others the very things that you've contemplated, right? You can actually communicate the yep. goods. You can communicate the mirabilia day. You can communicate divine mysteries themselves in such a way. That, that those addressed recognize in them something for them, something that has a claim on them, something that makes demands of them, something that invites them into a relationship which may be exigent, but in truth is actually saving. So, yeah, when it comes to these, these, these difficult times and the difficult times to come, we can be joyful, right? We need not be discouraged. Jesus nor is need Lord. Be tempted. That's Jesus it. is Lord. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. whoever proclaims it does so by the grace of the Holy Spirit. So, Amen. Boom. All right. Well, um, doc, Dr. Martin, maybe do you have any final thoughts, final encouragements for our listeners, things that they need to hear in this here year of 2022? Well, Thomas's commentary on Ephesians 6 talks about how preaching and teaching can sometimes actually deliver people from a nest of sins and demons in their souls. So, you know, there's a lot of talk today about healing and deliverance. Thomas says, the preaching and teaching of the word can actually deliver people from the lies, the falsehood, the sins and the demons that are nesting in their souls. So I would encourage all you Dominicans and everybody watching to love the word of God and believe it and, and ask God to reveal it to you. And a lot of times I, I don't understand something. I'll say, Lord, what does this mean? Like, I'm really puzzling over Solomon and David these days. Like, man, what a... What a strange story, you know, how wonderful Solomon, Solomon is today and how horrible he's going to be in a couple of days with his false wives and foreign gods. You know, like it, I think the only thing I've gotten so far is that only Jesus is the savior. You know, David and Solomon were poor images, really. But that's this is your area topology, isn't it? You know, yeah, I mean, I mean, we, we exalt David and Solomon so much, but man. What a horrible crime David did. What a horrible, horrible, horrible crime. And and what a horrible ending Solomon had. Oh, my goodness. It must be Jesus then. Jesus is our home. <laughs> Boom. All right. 
Christ is our hope. I remember when uh, Father Bonaventure and I had a class, an Old Testament class in the Prophets with Father Joseph Alibidi. I remember him going through the different interpretations given by the rabbis on the texts of the four like servant songs, you know, so the, the text mm -hmm. of the suffering servant in Isaiah, whatever, 42, 49, 50, and 52, 53. And um, he says, you know, they've got all these theories. Maybe it's the prophet himself. Maybe it's one of the other sons of Hezekiah. Maybe it's Jeremiah. Maybe it's the people of Israel. Maybe it's someone unnamed who remains to come. And then you, you look at Christian interpretation and it's like, it's Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there's a kind of clarity and simplicity that comes with the proclamation of the kingdom of God, right? Yeah. With, Amen. you know, this the second person, the most blessed Trinity, taking human flesh to make manifest the Father to save us from our, thin, from our sins and uh, all, all kinds of good things besides. Well, thanks for your vocations, really. I want to say thank you for being priest, you know. Thank you for the hard, agonizing work of getting a doctorate. You know, really, thank you for sacrificing for the salvation of souls. I appreciate it. I really do. Hey, it's our thanks joy. Thanks for writing the books that make it possible. So That's yeah. right. It's a team, team effort. Team effort, indeed. All right. Well, uh, thanks so much, listeners, for tuning in to this episode. Uh, please do uh, like, subscribe, and give a five-star review so that way it gets out to more who might be touched, who might be led deeper into relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ as a result. Uh, a special thanks to all those who support us on Patreon and make possible the ongoing work of the podcast. We're especially, especially, especially grateful. Uh, as we're planning retreats for this upcoming summer, know that they're not possible, but by your gifts. Uh, so do look for details on those retreats. We have one for all comers, one for young adults, and then uh, a wilderness retreat for young Catholic men. And uh, all that's available on godsplanning.org. So that's all from us. Uh, our prayers are for you. Please pray for us, and we'll catch you next time on God's Planning.